the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Well, look, Mean Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute. You weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two Hogan! 
but the referee didn't see the tag. Who cares? Beefcake's out of there. We need him out of there. Hogan is back. Big right hand. Hogan now becoming known at what DiBiase. Irishman calling the foot right to the face. Catches up. Coming in. On the lower abdomen. Lower abdomen? He's got that. That, that was bargain basement. Oh, he's using he used the titania thing. Firewood fire. There's no referee. There's no referee. Jimmy Hart, you get out of there, you little miserable runt. A referee is down. Jimmy Hart trying to. Here goes the tag team title. What is Hart doing? Who knows? He's turning his back. No, 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 no. doing here right now. Well, Steve Kick and Hogan have got the tag team championship belt. Here comes another official. I'm not sure about this. What kind of a calling are they going to rule on this? Let's see this. There we go. There we go. He's raised the hand of money. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the referee's decision. The winner of this bout as a result of a disqualification. And still, World Wrestling yes, yes, yes. Money in Like they told me last night, the money in the bank. I'll tell you, that call doesn't surprise me. I got a minute. Watch the, out. The champions from behind, but they might not have been a very prudent move there either. They've got their titles. They've got their belt. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the flagship episode of part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. I am your host, J.P. John Paz, and on the Pazcast today is a former a three-time NWA World Television Champion, a former NWA World Tag Team Champion, and a five-time former WWF World Tag Team Champion. You may know him as IRS, Erwin R. Scheister, but he is Mike Rotunda, and he joins the show for a very, very rare interview and a really great get for the show as we are promoting the big virtual signing he is doing with Gimmick Tree Entertainment, which will be available on Gimmick Tree's Facebook Live. And it will all go down on September 26th, which is Saturday coming up. So that is going to be a huge virtual signing. Definitely check out Gimmick Tree on Facebook and Facebook Live. Now, as far as the interview is concerned, this is a good one. I mean, it's just unbelievable to get this kind of interview and this kind of stuff from Mike. Like I said, he rarely does signings and he rarely does interviews, so this is just unbelievable for the show. He does talk about his recent stint with the WB and how he was recently let go of being a producer and a road agent. We kind of go into the whole furlough, then release story. We talk about the pandemic, COVID, not doing live events, and kind of where that left the agents, especially the older agents that were with the World Wrestling Entertainment for quite a while. And, and with him, like we talk about, he was there as an agent for 14 years. So quite a run there. And of course, we talk about his two kids that are still working there. That would be Bray Wyatt, aka The Fiend, and of course, Bo Dallas, who's still working there as well. We kind of get his, you know, 
not just opinion on The Fiend and the character, but we kind of break it down where a lot of the ideas come from, where the thought process comes from. And it's pretty cool like, to get that kind of stuff, not only from a WB legend, an absolute you know guy that is, is just a veteran that knows what he's talking about, knows what he's doing, but the father of a wrestler and which is pretty cool to get that kind of uh knowledge dropped on us and just like kind of not inside information but kind of you know kind of go behind the scenes a little bit as far as bray and his mind for the business and where he's thinking and kind of how he's thinking talking about how Bo may be a better worker but bray is obviously the better talker and maybe more of a character developer than Bo Dallas is currently speaking, of course. I mean, things can change, and maybe Bo has got an idea that's kind of going to break him through. But as of right now, obviously, The Fiend is, is a top dog within WB and kind of roaming the uh, and ruling the world on WB SmackDown on Friday nights, multiple time former WWF world champion as well. So, just other topics on the show. Of course, we're going to run down his WWF run with the US Express with Barry Windham. Going to talk about WrestleMania 1. We're going to talk about the NWA, JCP, and Mid-Atlantic with the Crockets. Going to talk about being a television champion, a world tag team champion. Then we're going to, of course, talk about the infamous IRS gimmick, Irwin R. Scheister, where that came from, who created it, why it was created, and kind of if it was a spinoff of the Michael Wall Street from the York Foundation character that was thought up in the early 90s in WCW. So when he comes to WWF with Vince McMahon, it's kind of a easy thing to put together when you say, hey, you know, this guy, we're going to make him an IRS, we're going to make him a tax man, let's put him in Money, Inc. with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. We talk about that great chemistry, that great team, and some great feuds that they had. We'll talk about WCW joining the NWO and then going over to NWO Japan as well. There's just so much great stuff in this interview. I just absolutely loved everything we got out of Mike. Just great answers to even some behind the stage uh, stuff about the being a road agent with current WB being a producer for these guys you know maybe if they don't listen or some advice that he could give so I mean it's really really a fun interview all the way around so without any further ado I want to pass it on over to the interview before I do I want to just mention the other podcast a part of the TMPT Empire that is taking you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard Testmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan Pro Wrestling 101 with Just Incredible, Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, Shane Douglas's Triple Threat Podcast, and of course, Trump Mania with Lavi Margolin, and last but certainly not least, Dutch Mantel's University of Dutch Podcast, which is on the MLW Radio Network. All this and more can be found on tmptempire.com all the information that you'll need you can also follow me on twitter and instagram at two man power trip for the latest news and info regarding the show so now without any further ado send it on over to the former five-time wbf world tag team champion irs erwin r Scheister, mike rotunda and now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, and Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. 
While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. on the line right now is a former a three-time nwa world television champion a former nwa world tag team champion and a former five-time wwf world tag team champion you may know him as irs but he is mike rotunda mr rotunda welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling thanks john it's nice to be here now the kind of the topic that we're talking about is you got a big signing coming up, a virtual signing with Gimmick Tree Entertainment, which is going to be on nine twenty six. You can check out Gimmick Tree on Facebook and Facebook Live, where this big signing will be taking place. What do you think about doing a virtual signing? I mean, these are becoming huge; they're becoming so popular. Yeah, I think that it's great um, to be able to interact with the, the fans around the world. You know via internet. Um, I think everybody's been cooped up because of COVID, myself included. Uh, so it's actually nice to take a trip up to Philadelphia where I'm going to be doing it and, you know, be able to meet and talk to uh, different fans online. It's uh, definitely something um, that's new and, you know, a part, a part of uh, COVID because everybody's home here and and it's a chance for people to interact without, uh, you know, safely, I should say. Yeah, I feel like the wrestling promoters really kind of had a little bit of a curveball thrown their way with COVID. Obviously, you can't do anything in person. So they kind of just did the next best thing. And like you said, it's very safe to do it this way. And you could still meet the guy, talk to the guy. Hey, you know, my name is, you know, Timmy. Can you sign the Timmy? And, oh, I want this picture, not that picture. It's kind of a cool interactive way to, like you said, safely deal with the fans. Yeah, for sure. Um, promoters have done a good job of adjusting on the fly and and opening stuff up where people still um, can have some fun and, and talk to different um, wrestlers as well as, 
entertainers, I'm sure some of them are doing this, or, you know, just a chance to to um, mingle with the fans because of right now everybody can't just go to a big signing and, you know, with all the rules that are set out to protect everybody, it's, it's uh, definitely something that, that the promoters have done a good job of adjusting on the fly to do. When you usually do these signs, usually, I mean, they'll probably be in person. Is everybody kind of, say, Erwin R. Seister, IRS, or do they, they know you from the NWA? you think most of the people probably WWF fans out there? Yeah, it just depends, to be honest with you. I I really haven't done a ton of signing. Um, I maybe do like one or two a year just because I was working for WWE as a producer for the last 14 years, which um, – I don't know if everybody knows. I just finished up with them. And so I'll probably be more, you know, available to go do signings. Uh, I've been asked quite a bit over the years to go do them. But it, it's just, it varies. You know, some people want some stuff signed as Mike Rotunda, or I'm, I'm sure IRS was one of the more known characters that I did. Um, but it just varies. You know, people... Like I started with Barry Windham in WWF years ago, and we did the U.S. Express. So a lot of people remember that era. I think it's more like era um, motivated, you know, who was into the shows watching the product at that time as far as somebody watching the, the Varsity Club, you know, an NWA or Mike Rotundo from WWF or IRS. I think it just varies from fan to fan because, like I said, there's been generation after generation watching wrestling. So it's kind of what what time you grew up in and, and uh, you know, what you saw on television at those times. I think people are more in tune to that. So you get a little bit of everything. Yeah, and you just mentioned you just kind of finished up. You were a producer there for uh, 14 years. Definitely a, a long, a great run um, in, in WWE, and right, right, I mean, so many things have changed for them. They can't do live events. They're not really right now in the live event business. So, I mean, it's even straining some of the, you know, outside uh, people that work there as well, not just the wrestlers. Sure, sure. It's, you know, it, but, you know, every business, you look at an NFL game. I watched the NFL yesterday. There's no, no fans in the stands, you know. Everybody's had to make those adjustments as well as WWE. So, you know, it, it, right now that's can happen is being able to still see, you know, what a game or a wrestling show and, and still be able to uh, watch it without having to, without being able to go to the show, you know, where there's a live audience, which obviously makes it a huge difference because that's, as well as for the, the the players or the entertainers or the wrestlers. I mean, that's kind of what you feed off, you know. You feed off those crowds and, and the excitement of a live audience. And right now, everybody's had to make those adjustments. So, I guess, excuse me, it's the next best thing, you know, being able to at least perform even though the stands aren't full. Yeah, and I guess, you know, WB has kind of adapted along with the NBA, this Thunderdome thing where, you know, it's a virtual where the fans are, are watching, they're there, but they're not really physically there. Right, yeah. And like I said, I mean, at least it's a chance for 
people to keep uh, like players and and wrestlers and basketball players and everyone still be able to play. But you know, it's just the the times right now that you can't have that opportunity to feed off a live audience. So hopefully things will work themselves back into normal as we go down the road here a little bit, and it won't be forever, obviously. So, For sure. With the uh, WWE, and you said, you know, you were working there for so long, were you surprised at all with what, you know, with what happened or, or not? Not really. You kind of, you know, you knew maybe something was going to happen. Well, I got uh, furloughed in the middle of April uh, along with a number of other other people. So it's been quite some time and and didn't look like it was going to open back up. Um, I kind of prepared myself for it, but I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen, which I'm fine with it. You know, I like you said, I had a long run there. I'm 62 years old and be quite honest with you it was harder and harder to do all the traveling and and uh you know keep that pace it's definitely helps being a little younger when you're trying to keep the pace that you'd have to uh working for wwe especially when you know uh, my whole time there we did live shows like depending on which show you were on we did both television shows and I did a ton of live events, you know, which were like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then TVs were Monday, Tuesday until they switched to the Friday night SmackDown. So I definitely put a lot of time in on the road, and it's kind of nice being being home. My wife and I have been married, it'll be 36 years in October, and all but three years of that I've been on the road. So, I mean, that's that's a long time, and I'm actually kind of enjoying being able to to be home more and be around my wife and see my grandkids some more and, you know, and get a chance to go fishing more. So, which I like to do living here in Florida, that's, that's my go-to, my relaxation. So it's given me an opportunity to do more to me what's, you know, something that's I like to do and it's fun for me. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Your wife is, is loving it. You were on the road, you know, uh, 300 days a year or whatever, you know, some crazy match. She's probably loving it. You're, you're home and uh, she gets to see a lot more often. Yeah, she's she's happy too. She really is because she's a, a real estate broker here uh, in Florida and she's busy too, but, you know, she just, we've both talked about this. It's it's both nice, a nice feeling for us to spend more time together, um, you know, because, I'd be out the door and she'd be out the door and I didn't come home for a week or whatever. And then I'm back out the door. So yeah, we're, we're both enjoying, you know, being able to spend more time together than trying to have to cram everything in, you know, cause you got a couple of days off. So. Yeah, that that is excellent. That's one of the, uh, the good things. Like you said, fishing too. So it's good to get out there and uh, right. relax. She likes, she likes to fish too. So she goes, We've taken several trips um, over the years, like to Nova Scotia and went giant bluefin uh, tuna fishing. We've been to Alaska several times, and she outdoes me most of the time. I She caught like a 110-pound halibut the last time we were in Alaska, so she, wow. enjo- she enjoys that too. But I outdid her. I caught a 695-pound uh, bluefin tuna in Nova Scotia, so I'm still the champ. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
see, I'm not a big uh, fisher, but I love to eat fish. So I've had halibut before, and that's a uh, that's a big uh, big fish, big beanie fish she got there. Very oh good. yeah, yeah, for sure. Now you know you mentioned family, but I wanted to mention this as well. Yeah, your two sons obviously uh, kind of follow in your footsteps, Bo Dallas and uh, Bray Wyatt, the, the fiend. So, one of those things is, is: did you always kind of want them to follow in your footsteps in wrestling, or maybe you didn't want them to follow in your footsteps in the wrestling business? Well, I grew up um, knowing virtually nothing about the professional wrestling business, so I like it's different. They grew up while their dad was in it, so you know I didn't force them or deter them either way. I just kind of gave them the options. And I guess just growing up around it, you know, with my wife uh, being her family, being Blackjack Mulligan, her dad, Barry and Kendall Wyndham, her brothers, she kind of grew up as well in the business, even though she, you know, wasn't around it like, like uh, involved in it or anything, but, just being around it, you know, with the lifestyle that it had. Uh, she was she she actually was more used to that than I was. I went to college and played sports and then happened to get in the wrestling business by uh, a gentleman broke me in by the name of Dick Byer, who was a, a the destroyer. Syracuse, yeah, the destroyer, a Syracuse alumni. And he spoke at one of our wrestling banquets when I was finishing up at Syracuse and said, hey, are you interested in getting into pro wrestling and I basically told him I don't know anything about it so he said well start watching the TVs and back in those days WWF was uh I grew up in upstate New York so it was on like a UHF, UHF channel like at 11 on Friday nights in my area so I started watching it and then um he ended up taking me to Germany with him um and I, I broke in. I trained with him two weeks, had my first match with him, and and he basically said, well, I'll be back at Christmas, kid. I got you booked over here, and I stayed for four months in, in Germany, and, and that's how I started. So it was uh, learning on the fly for sure, but it was, you know, he gave me the opportunity to get in my foot in the door and, and start learning. So it was an interesting way to to get into a business that you knew nothing about. Absolutely. And did he train many guys? I mean, obviously one of the greatest of all time, the destroyer, a huge legend, not only here, but in Japan as well. Did he train a lot of guys? I don't really recall him training too many guys. That's pretty cool. No, he didn't. To my knowledge, I mean, he might've helped to um, train some of the Japanese guys over there, you know, because he did, he stayed in Japan and was a huge star. Um, and had his own TV show over there for Giant Baba's office for, I think Dick lived there about seven or eight years. And, and so he might've helped out there, but to my knowledge, um, I'm the only one he broke into the business. And I guess it was just, you know, having met at Syracuse university where Dick, uh, played in football and wrestled there much like I did earlier on, you know, in his career. And um, when he spoke at the banquet, he talked to me about it and and just said, you know, if you're interested, I'll help you get going, which he did. So he, he like I said, he took me to uh, on the road a little bit with him before I wrestled to uh, Montreal and Canada up there because he was still working some shows back and forth from living in Buffalo. 
and then he took me to Germany with him, and that's how I started. And after that, I ended up coming back, and then I went to Charlotte. And then uh, from the time he broke me in, about three years almost to the month, uh, Barry Wyndham and I, three years after I broke in, were WWE champions uh, for tag team champions. So it was uh, a quick learn. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. was, yep. But back in those days, you, you wrestled every night of the week and twice on Sunday, you know? So it was, it was like a cram course where guys don't get the opportunity to do that anymore. Cause back in those days with the territories is basically you wrestled seven days a week, you know, year round, you might have, might've had a, <clears throat> a little break at Christmas time, but other than that, you were, you were working every night, you know? So it, it was an opportunity to pick things up uh, quicker think that's missing from the business today i mean obviously you know they got nxt and the performance center and you can train the guys and there's many different wrestling schools but do you think that's missing the territory thing the learning on the ring that's kind of you know learning on the fly i mean that's kind of the most important thing right well i think it is i think the, the business is missing that because back in those days um like if you were a young guy getting started you would work you know, like I said, seven days a week, but who you would work with were guys that were probably 20 year veterans in the business. They were just not working on top so that the new guys coming in would get to work with a guy that experienced, you know, and they would kind of tell you as you're going along here, what you're doing wrong or what you're doing right. And, you know, it was like learning from a, a, an established uh, performer and you were the apprentice. So it definitely got you now, if you work independence, you know, most guys don't have experience on either side. So they're kind of trying to do work through and teach each other at the same time as to back then, like I said, you know, when you were a younger guy and just starting out, they, they would put you with a 20, 15, 20 year veteran that had thousands of matches under his belt. And I, I think it helped, you know, the young guys learn quicker because of that. Yeah, I feel like you could learn more in the ring than just kind of, you know, in front of a crowd than, than in the ring where there's nobody there. You know, sure. take, take your bumps, make some mistakes, but do it in front of a live audience. Sure, yeah, and that's, you know, you learn <clears throat> to how how to get reactions from the crowd because that's what you – you know, your the object was, um, and those guys help you t- help teach you that because it was spontaneous in front of a live audience, you know. And, and some of the obviously weren't stadium fools. They were some smaller. Some of them were gyms, you know. They still had their arenas and and bigger shows, but a lot of them were what, what used to be called spot shows, you know, and it might be at a – a high school gymnasium or a uh, rec center. So there might have been, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people as opposed to trying to go into a, a, um, an arena with 10, 12, 15,000 people in it, you know, which is more mainstream, more mainstream these days, not right at the time because of COVID, but that's, you know, bigger crowds, WWE style, so. Definitely. Now, as far as getting into the WWE and teaming with Barry Wyndham, you said it was kind of three years into your career. How'd you get in initially to the WWE, WWF at that point? 
Well, that's um, we just at, at that time a guy by the name of George Scott was uh, doing the the booking for for Vince, and he was also the booker in Charlotte, North Carolina for NWA. George Scott was for quite a bit of uh, Blackjack Mulligan's career when he was um, in Charlotte and the NWA. And I guess he just, we sent a tape or whatever. We Blackjack said, you know, these guys, you ought to take a look at them. And they did. Took a look at Barry and I, and we started like actually in, I think November of 1984 is when we first went back up there. So, uh, or we first went there, and then we did, you know, all of 1985. We had a long angle with um, Sheik and Volkoff at that time. So uh, it was just kind of a right time, right place type of deal, and things clicked. And Barry and I, Dusty Rhodes tagged us up down in uh, Florida when I went down there, like the year before. So it was, you know, we got to put in a lot of time. We used to work probably 25, 30-minute matches every night. So we got used to working with each other, and we were both young, you know. So it was an energetic, and it was uh, we just clicked together. So when we showed up to WWF, it, it worked out well for us. So, yeah, and you think about putting you guys together, two great workers, and Barry. Everyone says you know, kind of one of the most underrated workers of all time. What a pairing to throw together, two young guys, but really advanced kind of for your years uh, immediately who would have known that you guys were that young in the business and you guys look like veterans. Yeah. Well, Barry actually started really young because he was, his dad was in the business and Barry, I think by the time I'd met him probably was working two or three years in the ring. And I, I learned a lot from him because he was like a, you know, more experienced, but even though he was a year younger than me, or two years younger, I think he is. He he already had three years or whatever it was of experience. So I I learned a lot from tagging with him, and and um, you know we just got used to working together. Yeah, Barry was like one of the smoothest guys you could work with in the ring. He just had a lot of natural ability, and for a big guy, I mean he could really move. You know, so when when he was young, so. He just uh, was very fluent in the ring. And like I said, I learned a lot from him because just tagging and working 30-minute matches every night, you kind of figure out and learn what the guys, your own partner is going to do next and what you're both kind of thinking on the same page. So we just were one of those teams that we dusty through us together to take a look at it, and we clicked, you know. So And we had a lot of fun. We We – did a lot of stuff outside the ring together as well. Hell, I married his sister. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You would have never met her if it wasn't for Barry. Yeah. No, probably not, because she actually was. She's four years younger than me, but <clears throat> she was working as uh, just started working as a flight attendant for Delta, and she was uh, working out of Dallas, and she came to visit Barry, and never went back. And we were married six months later. So. I guess it was meant to be, so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. What a connection with uh, that family. There's no doubt about that. There's chemistry all around. Right, so. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. So, like I said, we're in October, we're going to have our 36th anniversary. So, 
I've been lucky in that aspect. She's a, a great mom and a great woman. So. Yes, nice. I, I love the the connection with the the Wyndhams forever, obviously, and ever and ever, which is great. So with that team, when you guys first become tag team champions of the you beat the very legendary North-South connection of Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. Then you lose to Iron Sheik and Volkov at WrestleMania one. Then you win the titles back and then you lose to the dream team. Quite a, you know, a little run with a bunch of great teams. Yeah. You know, remember anything from that run specifically WrestleMania one? Did you think like, wow, this is quite a risk? No, I, I mean, it was really exciting. That was like a, you know, like a huge build-up to WrestleMania, and things have changed a lot. I, I tell this story, like, now WrestleMania is like a, a complete week of stuff going on. And at the time of WrestleMania 1, they gave everybody, like, a week off before. So we got to go do some fun stuff, and actually Barry and I changed our tickets, our plane tickets, and flew up. The morning of WrestleMania, we flew into New York, we did the show, and we got on a flight and got back to Florida that night. So (laughs) it was a little bit crazy times, you know, like uh, because we had another week off after WrestleMania, and we were going to take advantage of that. Where, like I said, now it's it's a whole long, a week long process, you know, with people coming in. But yeah, it was it was cool being part of uh, being able to be part of that spectacle, you know, it was like the first of its kind with being on pay-per-view and with all the stars they had coming in, you know, and Liberace and, and, um, um, all the singers and everything. So it was, it was cool. It was a great experience. And obviously it just kept building and getting bigger and bigger over the years. So, Yep, Mr. T, of course, can't forget him, yeah. Right, right, and Cindy Lauper was involved. And so, that, yeah, it was like the first of its kind. I mean, it was obviously Vince had a great idea, and his vision was to get the outside audience, uh, people that normally wouldn't have necessarily bought or wanted to view a wrestling show, but it brought outside an outside audience and to make the show a spectacle and even bigger than, you know, just a, a normal wrestling show. So yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So as far as kind of leaving WBF and then, you know, I'll just kind of skip forward to coming back as, as IRS, which I think so many, maybe not younger fans, maybe fans a little bit younger than me and my era, they kind of really remember the rock and wrestling era, but they also remember that, the era, you know, the, the Hogan era, the golden era, and then the eras as they start going through the 90s and then, you know, kind of hit another wrestling boom. But a little bit before that, you have you coming back as IRS. How did that kind of all happen? And did they explain to you, like, what the gimmick was going to be, this interesting, you know, uh, tax man gimmick? Well, it, it kind of, I think, got played off. Um, I was working right before that for WCW, and they, I think it was Tony Schiavone, came up with the idea of a character, Michael Wall Street, which uh, Michael Douglas had just done that Wall Street movie. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the character was pretty live. And, and so they came up with an idea of me doing that, the Michael Wall Street deal of being, you know, have an assistant. We do stuff by computer and analyze people. But what happened was... Um, 
before that, right before that, um, Jim Hurd had took, taken over the the running the TBF for TBS, the wrestling company with WCW, and they they said they weren't going to renew my contract. So, but then I started doing this Wall Street deal, and next thing I know, I got a call from USA Today to do an article, and I was on like Inside Edition and you know some other stuff, so it got some publicity. And uh, so they then heard, sent me a thing to, he was going to renew my contract for six months and I declined and I went back up to WWF at the time. And I think they kind of spun that off of not being the same character. And I'm not quite sure who actually came up with the Irwin R. Scheister. And, but anyways, I, I, yeah, it was like, kind of like being a tax man because nobody likes to pay taxes. So it was like instant heat when you talk about Mm -hmm. calling calling people tax cheats and stuff. I mean, nobody likes to pay taxes. I don't care who you are. So the IRS is a a natural heel. So, so it just kind of clicked and it it did. And it was like one of the more fun characters I ever had a chance to play just because people disliked you so much. They really, it really got heat, you know, it, mm-hmm. you, you could feel it when people yelled at you. So I don't know. It, it, it seemed to work for me. So we just went with it and kind of, and, and like anything, you kind of build, they give you an idea and then it's up to you to enhance that idea with your ideas to, to make it even better and more realistic, you know? And so that's kind of, what I tried to do and obviously it, it worked pretty well because I had like a five, six year run with it and it was fun. Yeah. I'm always curious of like, like Vince's input, like you said, they, they kind of give you the idea and they kind of, you know, tell you, you got to enhance it or go with it. Is it one of those things where it's a total collaboration on, on the gimmick or is Vince like, Hey, uh, you know, pal, I want you to play this tax cheat. I saw you, you know, you were in the York foundation, uh, this this character, but we want to enhance it, and you know you're really going to be healed. Do you kind of collaborate with it, or is it, it's like his idea first, and you just take the ball and run with it? Well, at that time, um, it was more like you had the opportunity to, you know, they kind of tell you what you wanted and give you some direction, and then you did have your, a chance to put your own input into it. And obviously, if it, if it wasn't working, they would probably say something, try this or you can do this better. So it was, and I think one thing back then when I was working, a lot of the guys that went to WWF were were experienced veterans. So I think they they could put something in their direction, and and the guys were used to doing it, you know, by themselves more so because they had experience. Where now if you're taking a guy that's coming out of the PC and he's only got maybe two, two years in the, in the experience, then you have to nurture him more. You know, if you make him a character and some like anything, some people pick it up and run with it themselves and some people need more help. So it just, I think it depends on, on a total collaboration of everybody some people you can do stuff to enhance a, a character and, and make it even bigger. It's like uh, like the character my older son does when he did Bray Wyatt. 
you know, they kind of came up with that themselves and it was, and developed the characters more and more. And then they went to doing the fiend stuff and he was just, he went to my older son is good on a mic. You know, he can, he can talk well and speak well and he has a creative mind and so does my younger son. They, they're both like creative. I don't know. They didn't get that from me, but um, <laughs> they, they both have like creative thinking um, and have ideas to, to make it better. So, and like I said, it, it just depends on the individual, I think. And also, you know, and now WWF has, or WWE has like uh, much more creative, bigger creative team, you know, assembled for stuff like that than they did back in the day. I mean, it was more like a, here, this is what you're going to be doing. And, you know, we'll, we'll do some vignettes and then you get going and then you just kind of feed off of that and try to make, make it the best you could. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get back to, to the scene uh, later because I had a, just a question about that. But I just wanted to mention this because one of my favorite tag teams was Money, Inc. And I just thought that was a natural pairing to kind of throw you in with DiBiase, right? I mean, if you think about it, you know, the money guy with the tax guy, just for some reason to me, you know, it just goes hand in hand putting Money, Inc. together. Sure. And that probably was the idea, you know, the crooked tax man protecting the wrench guy. So. That got heat. That got heat as well, you know. So, and of course, DiBiase was was established. You know, he had been there and done a lot of stuff, and was established as a million dollar man. So, me coming in underneath and adding a layer to that, you know, it, it made my job easier too because he was established. So, yeah, it, he, Ted was another guy that you know I got tagged up with, and we just kind of clicked and fed off of each other and, you know, did our business and it worked. So a lot of times, you know, you're put with a partner and it's hard. You just don't gel. And some, some guys are put together and it just clicks right away. So, but it definitely was a good pairing for the, the two characters, you know, to be uh, the heels, you know, nobody, the rich guy and the crooked tax guy. So. Yeah, it is a perfect pairing, and the chemistry is great, and they do, you know, they give you guys a lot of good guys to work with, the Legion of Doom, the Steiner Brothers, Hogan and Beefcake at WrestleMania. I mean, so it's, they do put a lot of stock in you guys as well, even though usually WBF doesn't put as much stock in the in the tag division, if, if you think about it, but they were putting a lot of stock into Money, Inc. Right. Yeah, we did. We had a, a really good run, you know, and Ted eventually hurt his neck so then i got kind of moved off into a single after that and worked with undertaker and big boss man and you know some different characters uh tatanka Uh, but it really helped being with ted to begin with to establish that character before you know he went off and and then i went on a single run off of that so as irs so you know things just that's how things work out sometimes it just like I said, certain characters gel together, and then, you know, you can put another layer on, moving them on. And eventually I was on my own with the IRS, so it, it, but it really helped being established and building the character first with Ted. I'm always curious, was it annoying to wrestle 
with that outfit on and with the the tie and stuff, was that always a, like a pain sometimes? Not in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's like anything. You got kind of used to it. It was. It didn't bother me. You know, it was different at first, but you got used to it. And like I said, realistically, you go into some of these arenas when the ice is down for hockey season. It's a little chilly in there, and it, I definitely enjoyed it then. It was a little hot in the summer, but that was okay. You know, in the winter, it was a lot nicer than being out there in a pair of tights, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With, you know, IRS, I feel like it's so memorable to the fans. Like you said, because maybe the heel heater, they they hate taxes. Is it one of those things when you look back to, like, you know, some guys, like, oh, I hate, they hated their gimmick. Oh, I hated playing this character, you know, uh, certain guys are like, oh, I hate being stuck with like that. Is IRS something you look back fondly and it's like, man, that was a, like you said, fun character. It was something easy to play, easy to get heat, fun to look back at? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, you, you kind of, if you do something as much as we did it, like every night back in those days, we were probably doing 250 to 275 shows a year, so you just kind of got used to it, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was it made it easier um, for what I was trying, you know, what I was trying to accomplish. So it was one of my more enjoyable characters for sure. Definitely. And then after that, after, you know, the WB exit, I guess there was, there wasn't a contract at that point, but Bischoff sweeps you up for WCW and you become wall street again, technically at one point VK wall street, though Vincent Kennedy wall street, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And that kind of worked out. Um, what happened there was I could see right away they weren't going to use me too well. So um, they booked me out of the blue. I came home one day or whatever. They called me and said, oh, you're going to Japan. So what happened was I went to Japan, and I had been over there just one other time at that point, but I knew one of the referees that was in the office, um, Hattori, and I spoke with Hattori and said, hey, how many weeks a year can you give me over there? And, and, uh, I ended up at the end for about three years doing like 20 weeks a year. And the new Japan was using paying WCW for the NWO logo. And then, and, uh, new Japan started their own NWO to fight, you know, their top Japanese stars. So NWO Sting was in it, myself. We were kind of the regulars, and they would bring Scott Norton over and some other guys here and there on some of the tours. But it really worked out well because I ended up working 20 weeks a year, and it was enough weeks to not even go to WCW and work. So, And I was working, you know, with the upper echelon guys in New Japan and still getting paid by WCW because New Japan would pay would pay WCW so much a, a week to use us over there. So they were making, you know, getting our income supplemented New Japan, and it was enough to leave me alone. So actually, that was one of the three years or in that period that I had more time home because I would go do a two-week tour and come home for a week, go do three weeks, I'd be home for two weeks. So I, I had more of a balance you know, back and forth and more time off in between um, just doing the 20 weeks a year in Japan. So, and I enjoyed it, the work over there. It was, 
it was fast paced, but it was um, it was also fun for me, you know. And they're Japanese are pretty tough, pretty tough characters over there, and they they'll go after you. So you got to kind of let them know, you know, that you're not going to let them eat your lunch. So, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. It's so interesting that, you know, they put you in the NWO, you know, obviously they a lot of ex WWE guys or WWF guys were being put in the NWO, making it look even more like a WWF takeover. But I don't think a lot of people realized how popular the NWO was in Japan as well. I mean, Right, I mean, you guys were selling out like crazy, making making tons of money. The shirt sales over there are crazy. NWO Japan is very, very popular. Yeah, it was. I mean, they were New Japan was doing great business at that time. Uh, you know, with the Chono was their top heel, and they had Mudo, Mudo, and um, Kojima and Tenzan. So. It was it was a good time. They were doing great business, you know, using that because they divided some guys up, made the NWO the heels, and then they were fighting, you know, like I said, you would fight their top Japanese stars from New Japan. So people really loved it, and they were doing great business. Probably one of the biggest runs of business they had for those companies, and maybe of all time. I'm not sure of how they're doing now, but. Uh, business was great. We did everywhere you went, you know, it was really good houses. And, and I, I'll say this too, New Japan is a, was a great company to work for. They took care of their guys, you know, it was top notch. So I, like I said, I had three years over there and I, I really, it was a little hard to get used to it at first. I mean, but it was once, once you learn what the Japanese guys were doing and looking for as well, and you got to know them, and they got to trust you. you, you could have some great matches with them. So it was fun. We had fun. And then, you know, with All Japan, you go there and kind of reform your varsity club tag team with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and in, in WCW as well for a little bit, right? I mean, you were kind of getting the varsity club back together for a little bit. Yeah, we tried, but it's it's kind of like – it's never the same, you know, after that first initial run. But Doc and I worked in uh, All Japan, and we actually won the the tag team titles. They took them off us pretty quick, but we got a chance to, uh, in a tournament, we won them. And, and um, Doc was a great performer and a good friend of mine. So, you know, he passed early, way too early. But what a stud that guy was, man. He's probably one of the, if not the strongest guy I've ever been in the ring with. So he was a great football player at Oklahoma, you know, many-time All-American amateur wrestler, and he and, uh, and just a really good guy. I enjoyed my time with Doc. I feel like in the annals of time, that varsity club pairing of you and him is a very underrated duo, two awesome wrestlers with a genuine great amateur background and you just like the kind of a, a perfect pairing but maybe almost forgotten a little underrated i think well you know you got to remember too it was it was rick steiner was in there with us at the beginning too so mm-hmm. it was oh yeah yep you know he's another stud and that that little click we came up with was like uh just really entertaining if you watch back you know, we would pick on Steiner and 
and talk about how our colleges were better than his college. And, you know, it just, it worked well. Kevin Sullivan kind of stuck out like a sore thumb when we were with the devil coach, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. it, it yeah. still seemed to work. So, and that was a lot of fun too. I, uh, that was a, a fun gimmick, you know, you know, just another easy gimmick too, because a good way to get heat, if you spoke about the a college of a town you were going to be wrestling in and said, your school's better, that's natural heat because, you know, you can, with football the way it is today and, you know, people back their schools and they're diehard fans, you know, so it was really, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't go into arena and not get Syracuse sucks going right off the get-go. So it, was, it, it made things easier when you're in the ring and who you were fighting as well. So, Oh, yeah. And I remember very vividly back in the late 80s when you were on a roll and Rick Steiner upset you and, and won the TV title, that crowd reaction was insane because it was one of the things where Steiner was, you know, he was known at that point, but not as known. He was kind of an underdog. And you kind of really put him on the map but when, you know, you lose the, the TV title to him at that point. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's how things work. I mean, it's that's how you advance, guys. You know, you you have to win. You have to beat somebody. The bigger the win you are, the more it's going to send you – forward you know and that's part of the business and maybe that's a lost art i don't know (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely a lost art for sure i i think so anyway yeah and you know we're still friends um i talked to steiner back and forth once in a while so he i believe he's a real estate broker now up in uh atlanta Mm -hmm. yep so yeah it was it was fun you know i mean it, it was one of the at the time everybody always did like a baby face like you know i'm from this college and blah, blah blah we were heels and that was when you talk crap about somebody else's school and think yours is better it really got good heat so yeah absolutely and i think yeah, the varsity club Maybe it had some more likes to it. Could have went on longer. But I don't know about Captain Mike Rotunda. I don't know if that had yeah, like, uh, that was one of my short-lived uh, mistakes. But and and I tell the story. The reason I did that was I did a, an appearance um, for a Proline boat factory down in Florida here, and they sold me a boat at cost. So it worked out in that aspect. But as far <laughs> As far as the uh, as far as the uh, <laughs> character itself, it was a little corny. So, but you know, it's you're always trying to do new stuff in this business, and some of it works, and some of it you should forget about it. So, we're forgetting about that one. Yes, yes, that is not a, a great character. But somebody, obviously, we mentioned before, your son uh, Bray Wyatt, the fiend. That is a great character. Is that mostly coming from his creative mind, or is is it the WB team coming up with it? Because that is like an out of the box type of idea that we haven't seen in many many years from WWE. Yeah, I think uh, Bray came up with a lot of it. I'm sure creatives helped in it. I'm I don't know per se. I kind of let them do their own deals, you know. So, but you, I'm like I said, I think Wyndham is pretty creative and had a lot of different ideas 
for that character. And, and it was, I think, you know, kind of playing off the Mr. Rogers deal, even before Mr. Rogers was redone, you know? So mm-hmm. I think he came up with a, uh, quite a bit of it, but I'm sure he had help from, you know, WWE creative as well. So does that character kind of surprise you at all? Like, wow, that's, you know, different out of the box, crazy, well, scary. I thought, and... Yeah. I thought the, the, the Bray Wyatt character was out of the box because hadn't seen anything like that. And he pulled it off so well, you know, and I didn't even know he was going to start doing the fiend stuff. And all of a sudden I was like a new fan watching it myself because I wasn't aware that he was even, even though you work for the same company there, you could go a month without being on the same show, you know, because we were running so many shows, different directions. And, uh, it's, and I'm sure he did have quite a bit of input in it because the fact of the matter is when you do have your own input, you're going to be more comfortable if you're thinking in that direction, you know, and I'm sure, you know, creative gave him some direction as well too. But uh, I think he probably came up with quite a bit of that, you know, with his own creative. So, Yes, definitely. Now, as we hit the wind down and head towards the finish, just want to mention kind of maybe a, a generic question for you, but do you have some favorite matches or some favorite opponents? I'm always curious because you, you're such a good worker. You've been around the block, I would say, for a long time. You've had a ton of good matches. Do you have some favorites and maybe some favorite opponents that stick out? Well, it's hard to remember, to be honest with you. I wrestled so many matches, but um, I really enjoyed, I worked at the program for a while with, um, big boss man. And, you know, it's just like, sometimes you work with somebody in there and you just have so much fun, you know, it, it's so easy and you just kind of click with someone and he's one of those opponents. Um, uh, you know, and I talk about, it was, it was tough working with Sheik and Volkoff every night, but the matches with Barry and I were working with them were so easy because those guys had so much heat. I mean, it was like going out there and automatically, boom, you would get huge reactions, you know? And like I said, I, I've had the opportunity to work with so many great guys, you know, just, but it's really, to be honest with you, hard to remember. I've probably worked, over 5,000 matches, I'm sure. I don't have a an exact figure, but I worked a bunch of them, you know, and, and it's just kind of like you work with somebody and boom, the next day. But the, those, those were a couple scenarios right there. I really enjoyed working with Big Boss Man. And, and uh, Brad Armstrong was, I was a heel. He was a baby face, was such a great worker. Um just so smooth in the ring, kind of like Barry Windham. He was just one of those guys that was so natural in there and it was so easy and that people wouldn't know that match because we never did a big, you know, TV angle or anything like that. But it's just as far as some guys you could go in there and go 30 minutes with and tear the house down and you've never had a match with them in your life. You know, it was just, I guess, clicking with somebody and, and, automatically things work, you know, so, and I'm sure there's a ton of guys I'm leaving out, but it's just, after that many matches, it's really hard to remember, mm. so. 
yeah, you did have, definitely have a lot of matches in in your storied career. With you know being a, a road agent for a while and being a producer, is that job like with today's wrestlers? Does that job get harder and harder? Because it just to me it seems like you know the advice you guys would give may be different than what we're seeing on TV, right? I mean, what would be some good advice? Would it be maybe slow down or take your time or you know? I mean, it just it seems like today's wrestling is almost a little too fast paced. And well, maybe not, not enough selling. Yeah, it is different now because everything's television. And I think that, you know, most of the matches are only a couple segments. So you really don't have time to tell a great story, you know, and everything's under the gun for time, you know. And where back in our day, most of the stuff was, you know, you could go in an arena and, and work 20, 25 minutes. So, you could build a match a lot better, but everything now is, you know, attention span with the audience. If they're not going to watch a 25-minute match on TV. They're, they watch two-segment matches, boom, and you move on. So, every, and it is. It's, it's a lot. It's pressure, you know, uh, doing live TV. It's not like doing, like even when they take TV, it's, you know, it's everything's live now, and it's it's a lot of pressure. I'm glad I didn't have to work in this era as opposed to the era that I worked in. So, well, I, yeah, I respect these kids and you know these young men and women because they got a lot of pressure on them, and it and that's just the way it is, though. You know, because everything's live television, and it's become so big on TV. That's that's the route that that makes the company's money. So you got to do it, you know. Is there some advice that you would tell them, like your kind of keys maybe to a younger guy that maybe debuting or he's just getting to WB from someplace else? Is there some advice that you would give to them? Yeah, listen. Listen and learn. <laughs> you know, listen to if somebody's taking the time and trying to help you, then listen and learn and don't keep making the same mistake over, you know. And I, I had an, a great idea, a great opportunity to be schooled, like in these territories, like with guys like um, Don Morocco, um, Sergeant Slaughter, um, Roddy Piper, uh, the Briscoe brothers. You know, these guys were all all big stars all over the country. And if they took the time to tell you something, listen to them because they were, they wanted you to get better so you could work with them down the road. And, you know, that everybody wants to get to the top right off the bat now. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta build it slow and, and, you know, learn more and more. And once you get your chance, then you, you gotta go with it. You gotta, you got to give it everything you got and perform and make it work. So, and it, like I said, it's a lot of pressure nowadays. It's, it's not easy, but you know, the NFL is like that. Now everything is, is so competitive. Basketball, baseball, everything is, is so competitive that there's going to be only so many slots. So you've got to be ready when you get your opportunity and you got to take advantage of it. Definitely. Now, as far as, you know, you and your family and your career, what would you say is like the, the lasting legacy 
of the rotundas. Like when people kind of, you know, wrestling is over for you guys, you know, look back, the stamp, the legacy you guys left behind. What do you think that is for the rotundas? Oh, I have no idea what that would be. <laughs> That's like asking, I don't know. I, I think that just the fact that um, we all got a chance to work for WWE, you know, which is the biggest wrestling company in the world, says something right there, you know. And it's, you know, my Wyndham's had an opportunity to be world champion a couple times, and I'm sure he'll do it again. And Taylor even had an opportunity to be a tag team champion, and and I think that uh, Bo has a lot of ability, and even his brother will say that he goes, he's he's a better worker than I am. But you gotta, hopefully, they'll figure out something to to that works for him. You know, that enhances his uh, career. Um, he's worked there quite a while, and he has a lot of ability. They just need to figure out something to to uh, capitalize on that, in my opinion. So. But that's the biggest thing. I mean, even being able to work all three of us, a dad and his two kids for the best wrestling company and the biggest wrestling company in the world, that's that's probably our legacy, you know, just being being able to get that opportunity. Then throw in there, you know, Uncle Barry, Uncle Kendall, two great ones, especially Barry. Barry might be the most underrated ever. I mean, he's just he's awesome just going back and looking. And then just throw in Blackjack Mulligan, who's just unbelievable, huge, huge stars, one of the biggest stars of his day. So, I mean, right. think about that from, you know, grandfather to grandson. And who knows from after that, you know, maybe even uh, the other kids will start wrestling. You know, the great grandkids will start wrestling. Who knows, right? I mean, right. The, the, the rotundas are going to keep going in the business. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. I want to mention one more time, Gimmick Tree, and you can find them on Facebook under Gimmick Tree Entertainment. The virtual signing will be on 9-26, and it'll be great. I mean, virtual signings are the thing of today with these wrestling promotions, and that is awesome. Check out uh, our buddy Charlie over there at Gimmick Tree. And do you have any other plugs, Mr. Rutan? Anything else out there? Are you out there on social media? No, I don't do social media. Um, I just never got into it kind of a private person and and I guess old school in that aspect. Um, I just kind of stay to myself and do my thing. So, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, The, you know, it's an opportunity, like I said, to get out of the house and, and uh, interact with some wrestling fans across the world, hopefully. And, you know, just have some fun. That's, it'll be uh, on a night off in that aspect of just doing something different and, and I'm looking forward to it. Great stuff. And we hope everybody joins Gimmick Tree on Saturday, 926, for the virtual signing via Facebook Live. Well, Mr. Rotunda, thank you so much uh, for all the time today. Really appreciate it. No problem, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.